When we read the book of Daniel, uh, we're reading a book of prophecy that is predominantly really, 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 really enjoyed by old men. And that's par partly because uh, an older dude, like in the year of like some old dude, he, he might really spend a lot of time reading the Bible. And eventually what he gets into is uh, when is the prophecy of Daniel going to be fulfilled? And uh, that's a really interesting question because there's a lot written in here. And so, like, what is the prophecy? Is it one prophecy and it, like, takes the whole book? You know, are there multiple prophecies? Like, what is the deal with that? And so, like, this, the old dudes, they get into this. And they, then what happens is they live their whole life and they kind of study this prophecy. And then they kind of expect, like, okay, why isn't this prophecy fulfilled? And sometimes they become angry at God. They might. Because they're waiting for this prophecy. They're like, okay, God, I've been reading your Bible. Uh, I'm waiting for this prophecy. What the heck is going on? And then the man might grow old and die. And that's that. Okay, so there's a lot of men that actually do this. Women too, they're interested in this. But it's really a lot of men. I mean, really, there are a lot of men. They're interested in the book of Daniel. So what's this, what's this whole Daniel prophecy? Well, what ends up happening is when we read the Bible over and over again, they start to look forward to a time when they can be with Christ or maybe they can be a part of the first resurrection. And so a lot of people, they feel like they missed their chance. You know, they lived in the earth. They feel like they missed their chance. But here's the thing. They lived in the earth. Now they live in heaven. And it's not a sin to live in the earth or in heaven. It's not a sin to live in heaven. And it's not a sin to live in the earth again. And uh, what happens is sometimes God sends us back to live again. So, for instance, uh, Enoch and Elijah, they're going to live again. All right. They lived in the earth. They never died in the earth. And they're going to be prophets again. So that's an example of it. But also Jesus Christ, second coming. He lived. He died. He went to heaven. He'll be back in the earth. Okay. And then there's the first resurrection in the book of uh, Revelation chapter 20. And the second resurrection. There's also the whole house of Israel being raised from the dead. And that's the book of Ezekiel chapter 37. So a lot of people are like, are you sure you can't? Or don't you think it's a sin to live in the earth? No, God made the earth. God made life. He gave you life. And Jesus raised, um, Jesus was there. God raised people from the dead. Jesus didn't do it. The Almighty Father did. God did. Um, but uh, Jesus spoke you know, about it and stuff. God did the miracles. And so, you know, that's not a sin for them to be raised from the dead. God did it. So um, when we talk about Jesus, we just want to call him Shiloh right now from the book of Genesis chapter 49. And then it all starts to make sense. You start to realize like, oh, okay, there's a bit more going on here. So when we get to the book of Daniel, what is it about? Well, we got really um, three sections. We have chapter seven and eight, and then we have everything after that. So that's the first section, the second section. The third section is everything before that. Now, let's go, let's go to the beginning. Daniel's in Babylon. He's in captivity. And so he's basically like kind of a prisoner, but more like a captive. A prisoner's locked in prison, but a captive can go, you know, in the house, can go around town. And what they did often when they captured people is they cut their dicks off. So Daniel, he's a eunuch. He has no dick. It's been chopped right off. They chop their balls off. And you might say, are you sure that's how they do it? Yeah. They just take it all off. He has to pee through a hole in the front of his waist, his lower belly uh, for the rest of his life. And it's fucking horrid. And it makes me so angry that they do this, that what I'd like to do is if it ever happens again, so for instance, Babylon's going to be rebuilt in the future. If there's ever a bunch of men down there that start thinking to um, chop men's dicks off, I might just go down there, kill all those men, and then come right the fuck back to Israel, personally, because the whole thing about eunuchs makes me fucking exceedingly angry. So Israel's going to be here in the future, then there's the day of the Lord. So how's it work? There's Israel, there's the abomination of desolation, That's what uh, that'll happen during the tribulation, then there's the day of the Lord, Lucifer goes to hell, happy day, first resurrection. So I'm going to go through that timeline again, and I'll expound on it a little bit. 
But what's going to happen before then? Well, there's Israel. God will be at the temple. And then after that, the Antichrist will be at the temple. So why would the Antichrist go to the temple? Well, Lucifer, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, they're going to be at Babylon. That's kind of like their big plan. And so they're hoping to go to Babylon, and they want to tempt everyone in Israel to come down to Babylon. Where's Babylon going to be? Almost really, really close, just south west of Israel probably, like really close, just a little bit southwest of Israel. Uh, it'll be built there, big city, uh, I guess, depending on what you mean by big, but it'll be a big city. And uh, they might decide, to, since no one's going down to Babylon, to go uh, kidnap people from Israel and chop their dicks off. So if, if Babylon ever becomes a, a dick-removing, human-trafficking kind of kingdom, I'm going to go city. I'm going to go down there myself with a sword, and um, I'm going to cut those motherfuckers down like grass and make sure there's not one man in Babylon that wants to kidnap people and do human trafficking, and there's not one that wants to chop dicks off. Then I'll come right back to Israel and get back to work doing this work of the Messiah. So this makes me mad, the whole um, dickless thing. But Daniel, he's a unique man. Not because he's dickless. He's unique. He's brave. He's courageous. Okay? Just something bad happened. But he lives in Babylon during the time of this king Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is interesting also. So at that time, he's bad in my eyes. Really bad. But Nebuchadnezzar died, and he's in heaven now. He is not in hell. And Nebuchadnezzar is trying to figure out this whole God thing. I mean, he's in heaven, so he can talk to God. He can see God. And God talks to him, and Nebuchadnezzar is doing something really interesting. He's trying really hard to not sin. He doesn't want to sin. So he's been a king. He was king in Babylon, and now he's in heaven. I don't know if he burned in hell at all, and I'm not going to ask him. He probably would tell me, but um, I might do that later because it might be a long answer. So I just thought to ask him right now. I've never asked him this. And it's kind of rude to ask somebody that. You know, it's in the past. If he burned in hell, it's in the past. I don't want to make him feel embarrassed. So um, when we get to the first few chapters, there's a bunch of weird shit. There's like... All kinds of, uh, you know, Daniel had um, had a night vision. Nebuchadnezzar starts worshiping someone who wasn't God. And then you got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All right? They're cast into the fiery furnace. And who was in there? Who's the fourth man in the furnace? It's the Lord God Almighty, the Almighty God. So he's, a, he's the fourth man in the furnace. And uh, it's not Jesus Christ. Okay? I've talked to God. I know Jesus. It was the Almighty God. So Christians guessed. You just didn't guess well. But it was just a guess, so it shouldn't be that embarrassing for you. So there's all this stuff in here with um, with uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And there's prophecy in there, but I don't want to get into it. I want to go to the stuff that everyone stresses out about. In chapter 7, Daniel had a, um, a dream and visions. Okay? Then chapter 8 is the vision. And then chapter 9 talks about the visions. So let's do this right now. It only takes a moment. What we see here is in the future, there are like um, army situations that are likened unto beasts. And the last one in verse 8 here is um, is called a uh, little horn. That's the Antichrist situation. Okay. Now, everyone says it's the Antichrist. No, it's more like the Antichrist situation. You can say it's the Antichrist, and that's probably true in a lot of ways. And I know the Antichrist. He's a retarded idiot, and um, he likes this passage. But um, I call it the Antichrist situation because the Antichrist wants to control kings and control kingdoms and have armies. But he's such an idiot. He can't, I don't know how he's going to do this uh, successfully. I mean, he just sounds like a complete idiot. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. So next we have the Almighty God in verse 9. And he's, here we say the Ancient of Days. Now, if you ever want to know what God looks like, it's verse 9. He has hair white as snow. 
Okay. And he has a, his throne here is like a fiery flame. And it says his wheels as burning fire. So he's there with Cephalim probably. Uh, but it could have been Ophanim. They're often called wheels. But this is probably Cephalim. They look like shields, like fiery shields. And they're mentioned in chapter one of the book of Ezekiel. Both Ophanim and Cephalim. Those are the heavenly uh, words we used to describe them. They're men. They're alive. They can speak. They just don't look like us. They don't walk around on two legs with arms and they don't need to because you might think they can fly. But what we say is they can go up. They can travel across the solar system, the universe, the galaxy. And But, you know, you're thinking the wrong order. Universe, galaxy, solar system, solar system, galaxy, universe. They can travel to heaven. Okay, they're men. They can speak. They just look different. So God's up here. He's rolling up hard with fiery stream that's issuing before him. And who's here in verse 13? It's not Jesus Christ. It's not the Messiah. It's this retard named John Huxton. He's really wicked. He's one of the beasts, okay? He's wicked as fuck. He's a man that goes with God almost everywhere. And when God leaves heaven, and he's completely, and this man that looks like the son of man, he's, his name is John Huxton. And his whole shtick is that he claims to be Jesus Christ and he claims to be God. That's his whole shtick. Now, God brings him along probably for laughs because John Huxton's um, got some issues. And so he does some stupid things that are actually really hilarious. So there's a few John Huxton jokes that go around. But the problem with this guy, John Huxton, is um, he claims to be God all the time. And when we read the Bible, we don't know. Is he God or not? No, there's only one God. Who's God? The Ancient of Days in verse 9, who had a fiery stream uh, in verse 10. God's a legendary badass. And then John Huxton's just there for the field trip. Okay? Now, the other reason John Huxton is here is because John Huxton wants what's in verse 14. There's a man that's going to be given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. Okay, this is an everlasting dominion and a kingdom which shall not be destroyed. All right, so John Huxton wants this. He wants glory because he's seen God's glory. John Huxton wants it. He wants a kingdom. He wants dominion. He wants all this stuff. And my name's Dale Travis Meaner. I'm the Messiah. And uh, God's going to give all of that to me. So John Huxton's always rolling up with God. When Later when God's with Jesus, John Huxton's there. John Huxton wants what Jesus is going to get. He wants what I'm going to get. John Huxton just wants it. Okay, he's greedy, he's covetous, and he's weird. And then God just brings him around, probably giving John Huxton a chance to repent. So I'll talk about this. It's kind of like the God stuff. You know, God rolls up with his um, angel squad, some fucking legendary angels sometimes, like uh, Gabriel, Raphael, Michael. Sariel, Mahalaleel, um, Metatron, that's the name of an angel. These are all names of angels. And uh, Azrael, and uh, Ariel, Arbitron, and a few other angels. There's a shitload of angels that are fucking cool. Zadkiel, Zafkiel, Kamael, Samael. So when we talk about um, that, he also sometimes rolls up with cherubim or seraphim. So God rolls up with his like cool squad. In this scene, chapter seven, he rolls up with cephalim and they're like fiery wheels. They're men that look like a fiery wheel. And um, they all roll up and Daniel finds out that the Messiah is going to be given all this cool stuff, a kingdom, dominion, and glory. And everyone's envious. Everyone's envious. They're like, why is the Messiah going to get this? Okay, and I say, well, God decided. Well, what happens in the rest of this vision in chapter seven is kind of cool. Let's just skip it and go to chapter eight. Now, this is the vision that really gives us a few details about the wars in the future. And so if you really like studying the Bible, you can read here and then 
what you want to do is find out the symbolic meaning of these things. What do the horns mean? What, what do the um, mountains mean? And that kind of stuff. And you can find that in the book of Revelation. Uh, so now we're in chapter 9. And there's a whole bunch of stuff here. So why is Daniel unique? Well, Daniel just kneels and he prays. And he really tries to understand this, these things. And um, so in chapter 9, he's Daniel is reading the words of the prophecy of Jeremiah. So Daniel's not just a dude that speaks his own prophecy. He also studies Jeremiah's prophecy. And then he goes down and prays and all this stuff happens. And so God just keeps revealing more and more and more to Daniel, probably just because of Daniel's extreme devotion, both to talking about these things and also um, his interest. And so Daniel is still a prophet. Um, he's in heaven. He's a spirit. And he'll be back in the earth again one day. And... Uh, Something really cool happens here. Daniel gets to see an angel, Gabriel. So Gabriel, you know, God's in the last vision. Now we've got Gabriel in this one. The last vision wasn't even just God. It was God Almighty literally there. All right. So Daniel had dreams and visions and then God actually shows up. And so Daniel sees the living God. Now here in chapter nine, it's a different time. This isn't a vision. He actually sees the angel Gabriel. So that's really cool. And so Gabriel rolls up like he always does, like a fucking gangster, uh, Trend and um, Gabriel talks really slow. So when you read what Gabriel says here, it's about this tempo. 70 weeks are determined. It's a little bit slower than that, but it's a real cool angel voice. I can't talk like him. And so he talks this, this whole thing so slow. And the reason he did this probably is because this is like a heavy word, you know? What is this about? The temple... It's going to be there for about 70 years or whatever, depending on how you count. Honestly, the temple that's going to be built soon, it'll be there. Um, it'll take seven years to build it. And then it'll be there technically for the next about 6,000, uh, more than 6,000 years after um, after it's built. It'll probably be there another 6,098 years, maybe, maybe more, maybe a lot more than that. So that temple's not going to be destroyed probably ever and then once the temple's built i'll be there messiah the prince and i'll be called messiah the prince but i'll be there before then also i'll be there to build the temple so when um we read this we're like okay what is this about it's about the vision who's going to be there messiah and also after the messiah's cut off who's going to be there the antichrist the antichrist is going to call himself prince he's going to call himself god and so he's going to be there and claim to be God. And that's the final, finally the Antichrist prophecy fulfilled that everyone knows about. So the world's fairly well prepared for this. Far more prepared than the angels. The Antichrist has been fucking with the angels and the angels are getting their clock cleaned. They're like, are you sure he's not God? Yes, I'm quite certain. Well, he says he's God. Well, there's more to it than that. If you're an angel, why haven't you seen God yet? You know? lazy angels you're supposed to go see him occasionally so then we get to chapter 10 and 11 this is mostly just extra details about the um, daniel prophecy so if we're really trying to understand the book of daniel here's what we do you can read the first six chapters and it's a whole bunch of uh babylon drama that will will be important i mean it's really important and when we read the word of god we can get knowledge and wisdom from every word of god but one through six really is a bunch of babylon stuff that's not that interesting uh, unless you're interested in history or future prophecy in general. But later we can read it and be like, oh, okay, now it's helpful. So I like to just wait. Then we get to chapters uh, 7, 8, and 9. 
that tells us a lot about um, the Antichrist and the Messiah. A lot about the Antichrist and the Messiah. It also tells us about the um, this ancient um, conspiracy to try to um, pretend to be God. John Huxton was there. He's he's in chapter seven. He wants to pretend to be God. He wants to pretend to be the the Messiah. He wants to pretend to be Jesus Christ. And um, that's thousands of years ago, and he's still doing it. And God's right there showing John Huxton, no, you're not going to be the Messiah. No, you're not God. No, you're not Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's like this old conspiracy. And then we also know that angels get all up in, involved when there's like God business and Messiah business. So now, uh, who talks about the uh, Messiah? Gabriel. Now, it's really important that Gabriel did this because Gabriel is going to have a time in the future where he has doubt about this. And so Gabriel not only heard uh, all about this, he also spoke these words. So Gabriel uh, needs to remember that. So he's like an angel. So like, it's a big deal. As soon as God starts getting involved, men start showing up and claiming to be God. As soon as the Messiah stuff starts to happen, men are going to start trying to claim to be the Messiah. And as soon as Jesus Christ starts rolling, rolling up hard, which might be, you know, another uh, 30 years approximately, uh, more or less, then people might start really claiming to be Jesus Christ. We're going to call him Shiloh, but there'll be a bunch of false Christ running around, false Shilohs, false prophets, false men claiming to be God, men claiming to be the Messiah, men claiming to be the Prince. There's just going to be a fucking truckload of this in the future. And um, so we can kind of get that sense from the book of Daniel. But really, what are we looking at? We're trying to figure out when is all this going to happen? Well, when we consider when it's all going to happen, uh, what we can find is that um, we get a countdown several times in the book of uh, Daniel. There's, I think, three places where it's really uh, a clear, well-written, excuse me, it's always well-written, it's the Bible, um, countdown. But not everyone thinks it's well-written, probably in part because it's kind of difficult to understand. We just read it slow. So where's the first countdown? As soon as the temple starts being built, there's... Uh, about 69 and a half years until there's the um, mar- there's the um, men are like starting to do the whole beast thing but that's not exactly true it's about 69 years until the antichrist comes almost exactly 69 years until he comes it might not be that day that's close enough okay next you're like okay what if the temple start- construction starts and I, I don't know exactly what day well after the temple's built Everyone will know what day that is eventually. So, um, the Antichrist shows up 62 years after that. So, the day the temple's built, Antichrist shows up 62 years after that. So, you're like, okay, I got that countdown. Well, how long is the tribulation? Well, they go into the book of Daniel has some detail about that. And so, when we go through this, we can find really clear uh, mention of um periods of time in so we just go through books uh, seven through 12 and we can find those um periods of time and then we can start to put the prophecy together um when we get into uh chapter 12 daniel starts to ask some really clear and important questions he says how long will it take until the antichrist is removed from the temple and this guy says okay i'll tell you 
But that's not exactly what he said. Daniel said, how long until the sanctuary is purified? So once Israel's there, these questions will make a lot more sense because I can tell you what the sanctuary is, but then you'll be like, I don't really get it. It's kind of like Israel's a nation. The nation's divided into 12 tribes plus two of the tribes get two land divisions. The tribe of Levi gets two land divisions and so does the tribe of Joseph. And there's a one more land division, which is just for called the, um, just for God and the prince. And that's where the temple will be. And so the whole area near the temple is supposed to be holy and perfect. But the sanctuary is where the tribe of Levi and the prince's land are. So that's three land divisions. And that's called the sanctuary. And it's supposed to be holy, clean, and perfect. Because God might travel anywhere in that land. But also the priests might travel to and from the temple. And it needs to be clean and holy. Otherwise, they might be contaminated by... Um, that kind of stuff and then we don't want them to be unclean or unholy at the temple so the sanctuary is a large area that's much larger than the temple mount so hopefully that makes sense and then later maybe you'll just see it on google maps or something i don't know um so there's a couple times when daniel asks these uh kind of um dated questions regarding days and times Now, if you want to know more about the Antichrist, we go back to Daniel chapter 8. And we start at verse, verse, um, verse 23. Okay, and this is going to be some funny shit. Because the Antichrist is a, an incompetent, blundering dumb fuck. And God's going to help him. Okay, and the real reason isn't to help the Antichrist defeat the righteous. It's more like the Antichrist, um, men get to make a really clear choice before the end times. Will you worship some, will you worship someone who isn't God and murder Christians and Jews and other men and women, human beings? Will you murder them just because you're afraid or are you willing to die, but never worship a false God? It's a clear choice. If you're willing, if you have, if you're willing to die, knowing that God can and probably will raise you from the dead. No promises, but he can raise you from the dead. Then you get to go to heaven. If you, um, if you're fearful and you start being a murderous rampager just because you're afraid of the Antichrist, then you know that's a bad choice, and you get to burn. So this is going to be a time of a really clear choice. So the Book of Daniel kind of just articulates that in a very interesting way. Now, when we reach the book of Daniel, we get to a time where there's a kind of a transition to uh, shorter books from prophets. Some of the previous books are enormous prophecy books. Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah are large prophecy books. And then we start getting into Daniel, which is 12 chapters, and Hosea, which is 14 chapters. And now we start to see something that's really important over and over and over again in, those, in these next books and the previous books. The, um, the prophets, they lived in Israel. They all lived in Israel before, during, or after the time of the captivity. But what you need? Before or during the captivity. And then, like, when I say after, I mean it's just later in the captivity uh, prophets came. So they lived before and during the captivity. And so um, 
a lot of these prophets appear to only be talking about captivity. So a lot of modern Christians don't read these books at all, but they give us tremendous insight on what will happen and why it will happen. See, a lot of us want to know what will happen and when, but these books also tell us why it will happen. And we're looking at a long history of things. We have a bunch of stuff that happened a long time ago, and th some things keep getting better and some keep getting worse. What gets better? Well, every generation, there are some men and some women born that uh, teach, that help, that are kind, they do charity, they tell the truth, they're righteous, they're brave, they're strong, okay? They have virtues, they're gentle, and they love, and um, they do all these interesting things that are really, really, really important in the earth. And those things are nice, but that's generational. It has to keep, that just keeps restarting over, the, over, over and over again. Well, it keeps getting worse. Pretty much everything else and so we see that th things keep getting worse. And now what's going to happen is when the Messiah starts to do stuff in the earth, it might change a little bit, but it's going to be better in Israel. And things might be better in the world eventually. But who's going to make it better? God. God's going to do all that. So when God's when I'm there, I might do a few things, but God's going to do all of it. So a time will come that's called the day of the Lord, and the wicked are going to get their comeuppance. That's what a lot of you might think. And um, they'll die. And then the righteous will live, or those that have faith will live. And then we'll have about a thousand years where the devil can't fuck anybody, excuse me, fuck with anybody, like tempting them and things like that. And so if you're like, ah, oh, Dale, I don't really like the word fuck. We use a different word. We'll have about a thousand years where the devil isn't tempting anyone to do the most heinous and horrendous and atrocious sins possible. That's why I just call it fucking with him, because the devil's just really bad. He's severely atrocious. So, um... When we read the book of Daniel, it's kind of a transition from those big books to the um, other books that are smaller. But when we get to these smaller books, it's a really slow read. A really slow read. And so even though the books are shorter, uh, it still takes a, quite a while to read these books. And it's a kind of a slow read. Now, there's a few insights from the very beginning of the book. The first thing is we're talking about fire and the day of the Lord, because that's like when God gets the wicked. Well, God's going to save those that are not wicked. So these three men, they were cast into a fiery furnace and God was there and he saved them. They weren't burned at all. It was The furnace was so big that four men could stand in it. I mean, this is a huge furnace. And so these four men standing in there are just fine. Their clothes don't burn. Their skin doesn't burn. And they just have a kind of a conversation. These three men get to have a conversation with God, and that's really cool. And so we can see that some men will, might be saved. Now, these three men had a tremendous amount of bravery. They're eunuchs, but they have, um, you might think that they're less than a lesser men, but they, they're not, it's not their fault, probably, that they're a eunuch. It's just that it happens when they're in captivity sometimes. But these men have courage, they have bravery, they have integrity, they have dign dignity. They might even have honor and other things. I think they have dignity. They refuse to worship King Nebuchadnezzar, and so King Nebuchadnezzar had them thrown into a furnace. He probably wanted to make an example of them. And so God goes in and saves them. So the fire isn't for us that do what's right in God's eyes. It's for those that do what's wrong in God's eyes. So when you read about the day of the Lord and those kinds of things, we might read about fire and smoke and wrath and those kinds of things. And that fire isn't for us that do what's right in God's eyes. It's for those that you know, are in big trouble. So repent of your sin, obey God, and things might go really well for you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord.